Well, this morning I just wanted to talk about the topic, where is your trust? When it comes to the end of this series on part five of our series, today we're talking about money's pathway. But ultimately when it comes to money, to me it's really not just about managing just our household and our financial equations and our budgets and just looking at those things in our own particular life. It's actually further than that, it's more of a trust issue. So just recently we had some issues with our water system at home. And uh, we, we came outside, it was about 6.30 at night, and there was no water, and all the hot water had kind of gone on our house, and we're like, what's going on? So we walked out to our hot water system, and uh, as I'm out there, I'm kind of noticing that everything looks fine, there doesn't seem to be a problem, and uh, so I'm walking back in the house, and as I do, I notice that my next door neighbor is also doing the same thing. He's got his torch on, he's looking for his hot water system as well, and looking out and what's going on, and so we kind of bump into each other and say, hey, what's going on? Is your hot water not working? He said, no, it's not working. And said, oh, mine's not working either. And so we come out the front of our houses and we look up the street and there's all these flashing lights and there's trucks up there and someone has busted through a pipe. And, uh, and so that's caused everyone on our street to have no water. And, and that's a perfect time of night when you've got kids, about 6.30 at night and you're trying to bath them and get them, get them to bed. And so we go back inside and we just started to wait. And to me, it's kind of like that with finances. Sometimes we've got to look further up the line. It's not just about what's happening in our world right now and our budgets and our systems. It's actually looking further up and saying, it's actually a trust issue. It's actually trusting God with all of our increase, trusting God with our finances, trusting God with all that we have and not trusting in our riches, not trusting in our houses and our cars and our, and our jobs and the security of our superannuation, but trusting in the name of the Lord our God. I love in Psalm 20 verse 7, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Horses or chariots. Obviously, we're in a, a, a different uh, culture today than when this was written. But when you look at it today, oftentimes we can find our trust in our material possessions like our houses, our cars, our superannuation, those things that we've kind of talked about already. We can look at our savings account and we can feel really positive about when those savings account is really strong. But when it's not, it can cause fear and anxiety to grip our hearts. I don't know what your experience was like growing up, but I remember myself, I was in a household where I had an, an incredible mom and dad from being a young person and, and seeing the way that they just loved God, loved the house of God and, and managed our household was, was incredible. But when you looked at my, my family, my mom and my dad, usually in any relationship there is a saver and there is a spender. Well, my mum would be classified as the saver. She was the person that was quite diligent with our finances. And my dad would be classified as the spender. He loved to be able to spend money and loved to be able to buy new things and do all that kind of stuff. And my mum was just uh, looked after every single detail of our life. Everything was kept to account. And so for me growing up, we didn't buy name uh, brand clothes or anything like that. My mum would shop at Vinnie's to my disgust, but that's how she dressed us. And that just seemed to be the way it was. And to be honest, I didn't know any different. I just thought that was how it was. And that was good. We didn't go out for meals or things like that. Mum just saved everything that she could. My dad worked in the mines and so he had a great income from that. And by the time we were into, uh, my dad was probably into his mid 40s, he had owned our house which was an incredible feat. But when my dad, when my mum, sorry, passed away when I was 11 years old, 
things started to change in the dynamic of our family. My dad spiraled down with some depression and, and, and over the, the years ahead really struggled with a gambling addiction. And so it caused a lot of stress financially in our family. And I remember as a, a young person, even as a teenager, stressing and worrying about money. I was worrying about my school fees. I was worrying about uh, a dad and the money that he had. My dad literally was, was taking money from different places in the house and doing different things. And when you're in that kind of mindset, you can kind of do some crazy things. And so as a young person, I began to stress and worry about money. And so I almost took it upon myself as a young person to become that kind of saver, become that person that was going to try and hold things together, a bit like what my mum used to do. Completely weird dynamic when you're only a teenager and uh, you're under the authority of your parents, under the authority of your father. And so it was a very, very difficult kind of situation. When my dad passed away when I was 18 years old, it became even more complex for me because my sister and I, who's a couple of years older than me, we were struggled with, we struggled with the, the grief of losing dad and obviously we'd lost mum. And here we were in this situation where there was things talking about like inheritances and all that kind of stuff and finances and all that kind of world that we needed to kind of try and get our head around. And it seemed like a crazy expression when you're in the mix of just the grief of losing someone that you love. And so in those moments, I, I, I really didn't mind what was going on financially with that. I was just trying to deal with the loss of someone that I loved. And in that moment, it, it kind of took us through this journey of learning to trust God in the midst of all of that. Ultimately, what happened is my sister and I went through this process where everything that we uh, would receive as an inheritance was written off to someone else. And so we could apply to this particular superannuation company where they determined who got a portion of the superannuation. And so it was just one of my dad's superannuation accounts. And so my sister and I applied, as as many others applied for that. And we received out of that $25,000 each, my sister and I. So after legal fees, it was about $22,000 that we had each out of all of that inheritance that came about. Now, it seemed like an incredible amount at the time, and obviously I wasn't expecting to receive that anyway. But over the years ahead, it was one of those things where we we bought that to help set up Amy and I when we got married and a car and all the things that we needed to do. And I remember this kind of feeling of anxiety when we came to the end of that money. It kind of felt like a loss of resource. It kind of felt like a loss of strength. It kind of felt like this trusting in these horses and chariots. It's like we trusted in this amount that was kind of there. It was kind of what was, was a safety net and then it was gone. And yes, it had been used on great things and things had built up, but it, when we got to the end of it, it just felt like this feeling of loss all over again. And it reminded me of all that had been lost and written off and that inheritance is now written off to somebody else. And it was this feeling of losing out on all of these things. And I went through this journey of realizing, you know what? My inheritance is in God. It's not in finances. It's not in a family inheritance. It's not in all of those things. And I, I remember going through this grief of feeling like everything my mom and dad had worked for has gone to someone else, a stranger, someone that was, didn't seem like they were owed it. In my mind, it just didn't make sense. And I had to come to the determination that my trust is ultimately in God. 
And I, I believe that God looks after those things in our life. He looks after the details of our life when it comes to things that we, can, we feel like we could lose out in major ways financially. If we put our trust in him, if we put our hope in him, if we say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in horses and chariots, bank accounts and houses, but I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord, my God. And if I'm going to trust in his principles, there's something about seeing it through and seeing God through the seasons of life being able to provide for every one of us. So two things that I've learned or two things that will bring peace to your life. The first one is this, number one, entrusting your horses and chariots to God. It says some trust in chariots and some in horses. We've talked already about the fact that 50% of couples who divorce do so over a contention about money. We've talked about the fact that even in their first year of marriage, 70% of newlyweds argue about money more than anything else. A lot of people leave the church today. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church because of the issue of money. They feel like they're always talking about money. It's always about money. It can be such an issue in people's life because it's touching a sore spot when it comes to trust. Because money is really about trust. Do we trust in our own wealth? Or do we trust in God and trust his principles? They're not my principles. They're not your principles. They're the principles of the word of God. I love this quote. When it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or worship with our wealth. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10 says it this way. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He is the supplier as we sow. He provides the seed to the sower. It's our responsibility to sow. It's our responsibility to trust the principles of God. And as we do that, as we trust in those ways, God provides the seed to continue to be able to bless and be a blessing to others. So in trusting your horses and chariots, and secondly and finally, is trusting in God. When it says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, when we trust in his name, we are trusting in his character. We are trusting in the fact that his promises are true. We are trusting in the fact that he is good to do what he said he would do. We are trusting that to be true in our life. I love in Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. See, when it comes to money, it's really more about heart issues than anything else. Oftentimes we have a head understanding of our finances and our money and all of those things. But really, it's a deeper issue of trust Where is our heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you look at our lives and when you look at what we spend our money on, what we spend our time on, what we spend um, our effort and our energy on, it really is a reflection of what is most important to us. And I want to ask you this morning, where is your trust? We're going to be praying for, for people at the end of this service today. And we're going to be praying for breakthrough over your finances and believing and praying a, a prayer of blessing over every person that calls City Church home. Because I really believe that this series has been a game changer. And I really wanted to get into your spirit this morning. I really want it to be something that brings powerful change. But it all starts ultimately with trust. How will we trust God? 
Will it be a small part of our lives that we allow him to come in? Or will we allow him to come into our failures financially? Will we allow him to come into our planning financially over the next 5, 10, 15, 25 years? Will we allow his principles, the word of God, to come into our life in such a way that it brings a transformation and a shift in our thinking and ultimately our heart towards Jesus? I don't know about you this morning, but I just want to trust God. I want to put my hope in Him. Psalm 20 verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So Lord, this morning we pray that our trust would be in You as we look at this final series today and this final video today. Lord Jesus, ultimately when it comes to our heart, let our heart be directed towards you. Whether we've lost or whether we, we are struggling with, with money and there's anxiety or fear there, or whether we have a lot of money, Lord Jesus, and it's having the right stewardship to make the right decisions, whatever it might be, Lord God, they're both issues of trust. And I pray that this morning that you'd help us to be able to trust you, Lord God, with our finances, with our money, Lord God, with our resources, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that our eyes and our attention would be on you. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And Lord, this morning, Lord, we ask you to do something powerful in our lives. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's look to the screen for part five. of our God, Money and Me curriculum. And I'm so excited because this is where we get to bring everything together that we've talked about. We're going to discover what the four components are that are needed to create a financial future that works so that our lives can have a generational impact. I'm going to begin where we started in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And again, I want you to stop and think about this. God is able. In other words, He has no challenge about where we find ourselves to make all grace abound towards us, that every one of us would have all sufficiency in all things. In other words, this is not just for today, but this is for our entire lives to repeat and to realize that God has a grace to see us have all sufficiency and to live with an abundance for every good work. And when we're not there, it's not God's grace and it's not God. We need to align to the way that his word works. That thought of having all sufficiency, which is literally this perfect state of living where you don't need any extra aid or support. Imagine living that way because your parents and your grandparents had that kind of understanding. We've looked at myths that are attached to money. We've looked at the spirit of money. The fact that money is a test. It's a divine test to determine if we're ready for eternal riches. And then we've looked at money's multiplication. Today, I want to talk about money's pathway and something that God really showed us when we were struggling, when we were giving so much away that we needed more components. I call it the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle. And I've come to realize that there are these four components to create the right kind of foundation. Marie and I understood tithing, which was giving God the first tenth. We even understood that we were to seed because seed creates harvest. We'll touch on that. But there are four components needed, a little bit like cement or concrete. 
You've got to begin with the ingredient called cement, which is the glue. You need then sand, you need rocks, and you need water. Right in the right ingredients together, they create a foundation we can stand on and build from. You know, my dad was a pastry cook, and so he taught me very early on that even if you want to cook, you need the right ingredients. Don't compromise what the recipe says. You need the right balance. You need to have the right elements as far as temperature, even if you've got dry ingredients and wet ingredients. You always add the dry to the wet, otherwise it gets lumpy. It's the same with our financial world. You know, we began by talking in part three, how that stewarding or honoring God's sovereignty by tithing. And I want to begin there because that's really the first and major component. Many of us understand that. But stewarding comes out of a revelation that the first tenth belongs to God. We saw in Malachi chapter three, how that God says, I am the Lord, I don't change. Return to me and I'm free to return to you. You've robbed me. And we responded, how did we rob you? He said in tithes and in offerings. And again, as I've shared, you know, people say, well, it's Old Testament law. No, it's in the Old Testament, but it was before the law. Leviticus 27 teaches us that, verses 30 to 32. It was activated in the law and also required after the law, Matthew 23, 23. And really, our stewarding, which is when we receive increase, the first tenth, not when it suits us, belongs to God. And the tithe is the test. It's where I determine what spirit is over the rest of my 90. If I don't get that right, it's no really good talking about anything else. By the way, let me just share a couple of thoughts before I move on to the second component. Did you realize that the tithe is not your tithe? I don't give my tithe. It's actually God's. I'm returning it. It actually belongs to God. People have said to me, well, yeah, okay, I accept that that's right. The first tenth should go to God. But can I determine where my tithe goes? The answer in one word is no, it's God's. So it goes where he wants it to go. You know, the thing is, this is what we're going to decide. Is God in control of your money? Is mammon in control of your money? Or are you in control of your money? Yeah, but I feel like I want to support missionaries and there are people in need. I want to give that tenth to. No, no, no. The Bible says, actually Malachi 3.10, that God says you need to return the tithe to his storehouse. The first tenth goes to his house. You go, really? Yeah, why? Because God's plan for the salvation of the world, his first and foremost ultimate plan is his church. And that's what he set up to fund his house. It's not my house. It's become my house. It's his house. It's not my tithe. It's his tithe. It's become my responsibility to steward back to God what belongs to him. Generosity, by the way, as we've seen, doesn't remove mammon. When you honor God with the first tenth and you put it where God says to put it in his house, you might say, but what about the missionaries? What about other great ministries? What about helping people? That's where you get to make a decision about your 90%. So the first tenth is stewarding. The second component of creating a financial freedom is not just stewarding, but understanding the power of seeding. You see, again, as we've seen so much scripture around seeding, in fact, seeding opens the door to harvest. If there's no seed, why would you expect a harvest? You know, Noah 
and his family come out of the flood. And they are, of course, the first inhabitants of the earth. And Genesis 8, 22 says this. God speaks to Noah and says, while the earth remains, Noah, four things won't change. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. None of those will ever stop. Let me just take the first one, seed time and harvest. If you seed, you can expect a harvest. Here's a thought. Many things are beyond our control, but harvest is not one of them. In other words, if I sow any seed in any direction, I will reap that kind of harvest. Galatians 6 and verse 7 says, don't be deceived. Don't let the enemy deceive you. Don't allow your circumstances to deceive you. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Think about it just practically. Imagine a farmer expecting a harvest to be something different to the seed that they sow. You sow carrot seeds or whatever seeds you sow and expect a different kind of harvest. Yet in the church, we do that all the time. People go, you know what? I don't have a positive life and everything's so hard and I feel like everybody's against me. What kind of seed are you sowing? You want a positive future? Sow positive seeds today. You want a financial future? You need to sow financial seeds. The first tenth is God. That's the test. The second, which I call is the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle, is that I need to be diligent in my seeding, always. Then it comes to the third, and this is what I never learned in church. I had learned these two and implemented them, but I realized that I had never understood that for a financial future, not only did I need these two, the third component is I needed to embrace saving. Well, let's wind the clock back. Here I am at 38 years of age and it's kind of like, you know what? Jesus is coming soon. That's what we were taught. It's kind of like, let's be generous. We're only here for a few years and let's go on. But I never stopped to understand that actually the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 22, these words, it says, a good man, a good Christian, a good woman, they actually leave an inheritance to their children's children. It's kind of like, well, we're giving everything away and we're just believing for God to bring a harvest and we hope the future all works out. Again, another thought. Legacy creates a generational echo. You see, when you start not just living with these two, but start thinking about, I've got to put stuff aside that's going to set a foundation for the generations who follow me, then something's going to change. In fact, too often we live in a world that says, well, you know, it's all about me rather than, well, I've got to think about how I could set up what's coming after me. And I think sometimes many of us don't save because we go, you know what, we haven't got much, so we can't make a whole lot of difference. And as I said, I was never taught that saving with stewarding and seeding was a key element. Never understood that. I was convinced about the law of sowing and I understood tithing. But nobody said that I had to set up generations that followed me. And that's where the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle comes from. And really it began to change everything for our family. Those financial seeds began to take a different shape. And so those first two ingredients, I had to add a third, which leads me to the fourth. And you go, well, Paul, if, if you're saying the first tenth belongs to God and you're saying, are you saying another tenth should seed? Well, ultimately that's what we need to shoot for. 
is that we would match the seed to what we return. And then we would match our saving to again what we're seeding. And that would constitute leaving 70%, 10, 10, 10, 70. And that 70% would be what we live on or spend. And you might go, I'm freaking out right now. I couldn't do that. I think we've got to start thinking a lot more intentionally about our finances. Every time we're awarded or we receive an increase, you know, we teach the children at Life right now that they've got four jars next to their beds. If they get $10 pocket money, hey, the first tenth, let me demonstrate it like this. In fact, I've got 200 New Zealand dollars in my pocket, which is 10, $20 bills. So if I were to receive $200, we teach our children, hey, it's not the last, it's not the second to first. The first is you're going to return a tenth to God into his house And that's going to put his sovereignty over everything that's left. Not only are you going to return to God, but you're going to go, well, financial seed creates a financial harvest. So ultimately, I want to match another tenth. And that tenth is going to go into seeding to release that kind of harvest. Thirdly, I'm actually going to equal what I seed with what I save. And that's not just saving for a holiday. That's saving for a future that actually I can't access, but it's going to go generationally. And so I put it in there. And then finally, with the 70% that's left, that's what I live on or I have to restrict my living. In fact, a nephew of mine came up to me recently and he heard me teach on this. I think it was about eight or nine years ago for the first time. And he just said to me, uncle, you know what? He's 17. He said, I've got my saving jar up to $6,000. He said, I've honored God. I've been able constantly to help friends at school that are in need, buy them lunches, do things that I feel to do, help build buildings for church. I've done a whole lot of things, but I've got $6,000. I embraced the 10, 10, 10, 70 when I was eight years old. Saving is not about, as I said, for something that can be consumed. That goes generationally. It's not to be used for anything else but what your children's children can benefit from. Imagine for a moment if your grandparents lived this. How different would your world be today if they put aside 10% of their income for their children's children? We would then see 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 become a reality where we wouldn't need to find ways to build our first home we would already have the platform of having all sufficiency in all things and then have an abundance for every good work. You know, don't get stuck on the 70%, but I do believe the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle is where we should aim. And you might go, no, I'm freaking out. I can't do that. In fact, I find it hard to honor God with 10 and live on 90. Seriously, if you don't get the stewarding right, you don't have God's blessing on the rest. That struggle will continue. Honor God first and then begin to say, okay, this is the goal for my future. Start somewhere. Don't compromise. That's not your right or my right to compromise what belongs to God in his house. But I've said to some people who are really in debt, they've never been taught properly about money. I said, start somewhere. So 10%. Why don't you change that to 2%? Always match these two together. Whatever you seed, make sure you save. And as I keep saying, don't ever spend that. That could go towards debt if you're in debt. That will go towards buying your first house, an appreciating asset. 
something that will live on generationally. It doesn't go to a holiday. It goes to things that build. So you could start with 10 to 286. Maybe have a three-year plan. Next year, go to 10, 5, 5, 80. Third year, 10, 10, 10, 70. You master this, you will find a release and you will be part of a generation that sets up generations that follow after us in such a powerful way. That's the power of it. You've got to begin somewhere, but your optimum is the 10, 10, 10, 70. As I said, our saving, if you're in debt, needs to reduce that. It needs to build towards your future. Again, another thought is this. If you manage your money, it won't manage you. Farmers somehow have a different understanding to us in the church. So here I am. Let me recap the journey I went. Always did these two. But actually, our seeding was so high that actually we had no money to save because we lived on the rest. There was a time where we tithed and 40% of our income went into seeding. And so that left us with 50% to live on. We didn't save anything. Then I felt God show me, this is why we need all three. Let me give you Galatians 6 and verse 7. You'll know the verse and we've used it before, but it says this, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, listen to these words, that he will also reap. Five words, that he will also reap. A farmer sows the seed, but the farmer also goes out and collects the harvest and determines its future. See, I was never taught that. So I was just taught, honor God with the first, seed and harvest will come. No, no, no. A farmer goes out, collects the harvest, and then with the harvest determines his future by it and what he will do. If we don't go out and collect it and determine its future, we don't release generations to follow us. Maybe you're doing well financially and you go, well, I could do that. That's easy. Why would you stop there? Think about it. So if this is the optimum for most people, the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle, I challenge you to go to 10, 20, 20, 50. You go, what do you mean? You can't increase your tithe. You can't double tithe. God says the first tenth is his. But you can increase your seed. More seed, more harvest. So increase it to 20%. But always, always match what you seed to what you save. Your role, my role, is to, again, reduce my spending so that I can set up and leave an inheritance for my children's children. And that's what's going to empower the kingdom long term. It's powerful. You see, and then I have to learn to live on the rest. Maybe you've done really well and so you really break through under God's blessing. Well, you could go 10, 30, 30, 30. And again, how much seed would you be pouring into the kingdom? That 30%, you might go, yeah, but now I've set my children up, my children's children up. Well, why, why would you give all of that away? Why wouldn't you reinvest so that you can have more money coming through so that you can release even more generations to follow? I believe, and I'm unapologetic, the kingdom needs more money. It needs money to break free in the purposes of God. And it's not about being selfish. It's about stewarding. It's about seeding and it's about saving. And then you go, well, this last category, spending, I've got that under control. Really? I think it's the major challenge. I think we don't understand delayed gratification. In other words, we just got to live the way we've always lived. No, managing and uh, our finances creates a meaningful future. And so significant spending requires a whole lot of things. 
as I said, if we honour God, we've got to really look at where our money's going. Uh, let, let me give you a couple of thoughts as I bring this whole uh, series or this whole insight to a conclusion in this part of our God, Money and Me curriculum. Spending, when it comes to spending, you've got to live within predetermined boundaries. In other words, whether it's 70%, it's 80%, it's 86%, you go, that's it. That's what I am going to spend, nothing more. I'm not going to allow the enemy to fool me into not fulfilling the ingredients needed for a financial future. In fact, tomorrow's breakthrough requires today's restraint. Think about that. You want to break through in your finances? It's not because it's not going to cost you restraint. You're going to have to institute restraint. Significant spending requires literally that. You've got to live within your means. And by the way, maybe you don't need everything you think you need. It is totally unwise to spend money you don't have for depreciating assets. Anything that depreciates and you borrow for it, you're putting yourself backwards. You need to save up and make sure that you have the money here to be able to pay for that. I think the second key to significant spending would be we need to discover a way to increase our income. And it would be fair to say that for many of us, it's like, you know what, Paul, I look at that and it's just well beyond me. This is not necessarily where we begin, as I said. If you honor God, that's his choice then he will be released to work with what's left. And as you do that and you increase these things, you're going to see God's breakthrough. But never underestimate what your potential is. I think we've got to discover, and many times we're in situations that we didn't even ask for, but God meets us there and the principles still work. Let me just for a moment read again Proverbs 13, verse 22, where it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's why we need a financial pathway. And then it says, but the wealth of the wicked or the sinner is stored up for the righteous. In other words, God's got a plan if we get ready for it. And then verse 23, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but for lack of justice, there is waste. Think about that. What does fallow ground mean? It means until ground. Don't stop with what you know. Don't stop with where you're at. Actually, get the soil of your life fertile and begin to believe that as you stretch out, you can increase your income. And for lack of justice, the word justice literally means ordinance, which means if you live according to God's pattern, come on, a farmer, as I said before, he just doesn't honor God, doesn't just sow seed, goes and gets the harvest, puts it aside, and then restricts the spending to what they have so that they can go into the next season ahead of the game. There was a time in my life in Sydney where we had committed to give a lot of money to a building project. I didn't understand this. But what I did understand is I didn't have what was needed to do what we committed. And I actually went out and I started making as a second job coffee tables and spraying them with a two-pot lacquer and selling them at special places where in the weekend many people would come to. And we made a lot of money through that. And sometimes it's as simple as this. Don't look at where you're at, let that define you, but actually look at what you could do with what's left. Maybe turn the TV off. We've all got unproductive time that we need to deal with. Maybe go and train for a better job. Or as I've suggested before, maybe even get two jobs for a while. You see, if you increase your income, you can increase your spending. And that's the wonder of that. Don't spend what you don't have. 
So if you're going to be significant in your spending, you've got to predetermine your boundaries. 10, 10, 10, 70 or 10, 2, 2, 86, 10, 5, 5, 80. Never separate what you seed from what you're putting aside to saving. And then finally, set accountability partners in place. Money is such a big deal. We need people around us. And when we do that, we can continue to know God will make all sufficiency abound towards us and have an abundance for every good work. You know, before I pray, I want to encourage you. If you do it God's way, you release God's spirit to do the supernatural. Again, let's not forget stewarding. The first belongs to God. Seeding. The second creates a harvest. Saving. The third empowers future generations. Spending. When you live within your means, secures an everyday peace. You won't have to worry anymore. You might have to delay off spending some things, but come on, a good person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. Let's pray, because I tell you what, the enemy has no answer when we do it God's way. And let's believe for God's blessing to take us from where we're at to a place of complete financial freedom, setting up generations to follow. Father, we thank you today that you don't leave us on our own. As the psalmist said, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. And for many of us, we need a trust in you that the God that we entrust with our eternity will also entrust with our material world. That you will lead us. And God, if we feel like it's bigger than us, you're bigger than it. And I just pray that faith and hope will come into every one of us, that as we read God, money, and me, and we live it out, we will create a financial future that will set up generations to follow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Did that help you today? It's good. It's powerful teaching, isn't it? I want to read a scripture over you this morning, and then uh, I want to pray. It says in Psalm 112, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns from the upright. For the gracious and compassionate and righteous man, good will come to him, who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. And that's what I'm believing over your life this morning. As we are concluding this series today, I'm believing that you will be blessed, that your family will be blessed, that there will be an overflowing effect on the family that's around you and on the generations to come. As you trust God with your finances and as you put Him first, that you would see His principles come to pass in your life. It's a great church by the name of Bethel. And uh, they had this declaration that they read 
during their offering talks. It was sent to me from uh, Jason Webster a couple of weeks ago. And I want to read it over you today, and then I'm going to pray over you this morning. So would you stand with me as I, as I read this over you? It says, We are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decreasing, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs, that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, I thank you this morning. Let's lift up our hands all over this place. For every person under the sound of my voice today, from the live stream, Lord God, to in this auditorium today, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that the principles of the Word of God are true, Lord God. They're not man's principles. They're not a church's principles. They are your principles, Lord. And this morning we say with all of our heart, we trust you, God. We trust you in this area of our life. Lord, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And this morning, we say we don't trust in horses or chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I pray this morning for your blessing and favor to be released on your people this morning. That City Church would be blessed. That we would be blessed to be a blessing to those that are around us. That our community would know, Lord God, that we are here. That we exist. That we would be a shining light in this community of the Blue Mountains and beyond. Because we are blessed to be a blessing, Lord God. that finances would flow out of our place because if you can get it to us, Lord God, you can get it through us, Lord God, to our community. And Lord, this morning we pray for every family to be blessed, Lord God, for every household, Lord God, to know your provision and to know your favor, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that your eyes would shine on us, that the smile of heaven would be upon your church, Lord God, and be upon your people, Lord Jesus. And in every way we would be blessed so that we could be a blessing to those around us. And we pray and we ask it this morning in that most powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 